Well, good morning again. Thank you. Um, quick roadmap. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about why we're doing this, why we want to um, raise money, why we want to give sacrificially and invest in a position that will help us then invest spiritually in the coming generations that are connected here at Christ Lutheran. Uh, next weekend, uh, we will, during the education hour, Bible study hour, be holding a town hall style meeting. Uh, I think actually it's going to be in the parish hall, where we want this to be a two-way conversation. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, our vision for what this position will look like, but we also want your input. And we want your questions, and hopefully out of that we'll all come to a, a deeper and greater understanding. And then on the fourth Sunday this month, which is October 21st, if I did my math correctly, uh, we will be then asking you after prayer and conversation and meditation and thought and whatever God lays on your heart, we will be asking you to pledge however much you are able to give if you are so led to do that. And then the following uh, weekend is Reformation Sunday, so what better way to celebrate the kind of birth of our particular denomination and we think a very important moment in the history of the church with then also celebrating what God is doing and will do in our congregation. Now, obviously, when you talk about a series like this, it does come with the unfortunate and uncomfortable part of asking for money. Um, my hope and prayer over the next couple of weeks is that you will see that it's so much more than that. That this is a huge need, uh, not just in our church, but within our culture, within churches, more, much more broadly. And I also hope and pray that you'll see it more as an investment. Uh, that what we're really doing is laying the foundation of what's to come. Uh, I, I didn't ask their permission to do this, so I will ask forgiveness later. Uh, but the fact that we have a now granddaughter of the congregation that was born yesterday indicates that there has been some groundwork in the past that has been laid, that, that we as a congregation, well, y'all, because I wasn't here, uh, invested in the up-and-coming generation, and it's paying off. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, we turn to uh, the one story that we have of Jesus when he was young. He was 12. And we learn a couple of things about him. Uh, the first is that he grew up in a very um, observant, traditional Jewish family. Uh, at that time, while the temple still stood, if you could make it to the so-called pilgrimage festivals, meaning there were certain festivals throughout the year, uh, uh, throughout the Hebrew calendar, if you could make it to Jerusalem to celebrate them, do it. And the fact that it was their custom to do this every year says something about them, that, that it was important not just to engage with uh, the, the story that God is telling and has told through the history of the people of Israel, 
but also that it was important to them to pass on those important, vital stories to the next generation. Uh, Whether we realize it or not, and, and I'm guessing most of us don't, one of the reasons why we, even as, as Christians today, celebrate holidays like Christmas and Easter are not because, you know, on Christmas we get gifts and then Easter we get chocolate and there's a rabbit involved for some reason. Um, but these are actually opportunities for us to relive and retell the story of Jesus. And we do this every year. And, and even if you're not like a real committed church attender or something like that, people still kind of know, oh, it's Christmas, I should go to church. There's still that, that desire, that, con- that, that, that need for that connection to this much richer, bigger story than the little lives that we live. It's a big deal. We learn that Jesus is, in this story is quite bright. And that might seem obvious. It's like, well, he's the son of God. You'd expect him to be reasonably intelligent. Uh, but it's more than that. And we get, that, we, we get this from two uh, parts of that interaction. Um, first, it's that Jesus has kind of a deeper insight, a deeper understanding that tells us that Jesus has already been studying the Scriptures. I don't think that he was born just automatically knowing them, because he's human. He's also fully divine, yes, but he's fully human, which means he has to learn. That's why Luke tells us he grew in wisdom. It means that he, in his growing up, and as he starts learning Torah, and and learning the prophets and the writings, that that he connects with them quicker, more deeply than the average person. Now, believe it or not, uh, within kind of like broad New uh, New Testament scholarly thinking, the question of how does Jesus think about himself as the Son of God is a very complicated question. In part because it's not directly a Jewish category. Now, I'm not going to bore you on all of the details and, 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 and different parts of, of that argument and that uh, discussion, except for one part. The kind of school of thought that I subscribe to is that whatever else Jesus thought about himself, he clearly had buried deep within himself a strong sense of vocation, a strong sense of connection that what, whatever God has put him on this planet to do He can't help but do it. And the most natural place for somebody like that to end up is the temple. The temple was the place of God's presence. It was where Israel has historically been played host to the very presence of God. And so when Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's actually being really literal, more literal than he usually is. That something about him just compels himself to be there. Now, his parents, as you might imagine, were not thrilled with that moment. And that's why Katie, during the children's message, said, well, I like to point out that, that when I was growing up, I, I had to be strapped to my brother's stroller because I would just wander. Um, I did not, by the way, approve all of those pictures of me being shared, but whatever. 
we we can <laughs> she's not going to ask for forgiveness karen don't kid yourself um, we learn a couple of other things from jesus as he's growing up from just this moment one joseph's still alive by the time jesus starts his career that seems to not be the case my own pet theory that I won't get into is that Joseph dies sometime pretty soon after this moment. But also we learn that Jesus grew up just kind of normally. Um, and, and there's a huge vacuum of, story, uh, of time where we know nothing about Jesus as he grew up and as he came of age. Uh, the Bible is, is silent. And uh, if nature abhors a vacuum, so do humans and storytelling. And so you get uh, some later editions, later stories. Um, they kind of originate from like areas of very heavy like Greek philosophy. Um, some originate like in Egypt. And a lot of them center around like the time when Jesus as a boy uh, had to escape to Egypt. Uh, because they were in danger of Herod the Great. And they are bizarre, super weird. Like Jesus forming a bunch of birds out of clay and then clapping and they fly because they're real birds now. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> I kid you not, uh, this is part of the, the Nagamati Gnostic Gospels. Um, Jesus accidentally killing somebody and then saying, see, I make mistakes too. Super weird. Uh, and that suggests kind of a general discomfort with the idea of Jesus just grew up normally. He was a normal guy. And so he probably worked with his dad while his dad was still alive. Um, Myth-busting moment. Uh, the word technon in Greek does not necessarily mean carpenter. It just means like worker. Um, not a lot of trees in that region, so he's more likely a stonemason or something like that. Um, he probably worked... Um, I mean, it would make the most sense that he worked um, in Sephoris and some of the, the Greek cities just to the north of Nazareth. But he probably did that for 30 years, or, I don't know, 20 years, however, whenever he was old enough. His life, until the moment when he is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, was probably very ordinary, very normal. And over the centuries of Christian thought, that hasn't really sat well with some of us. But I think that's part of the reason why the story of Jesus is so beautiful. A professor of mine would often say that every, every detail about Jesus' life is theologically significant. And, and I think this is the same. Because most of our lives are spent in the ordinary. I mean, sure, there are big moments that we encounter. Um, celebrations of birth, of marriage, graduation. Um, and then the darker side, funerals, and failure, and struggle in the big moments. But most of our lives are not spent there. They are spent getting up, going to work, getting kids ready, taking them to school, weekend, and if you own a home, going to Lowe's or Home Depot and figuring out how to fix things. It, it just, that's it. And my experience has been that some of the most soul-crushing or difficult uh, times aren't going to come in those big moments. They're going to come in the ordinary aftermath of those moments. And the fact that Jesus spent the vast majority of his life in those normal moments is encouraging to me. Because if we believe that the redemption that Jesus wins for us 
when he willingly goes to his death at the hands of the Roman Empire, uh, redeems us and brings us out of our sin, washes our sin away, then to use a very modern, popular word, that redemption ought to be holistic. Which means Jesus' redemption applies to us in those big moments of personal moral failure and struggle and sadness and doubt, crushing doubt. And Jesus' redemption applies to us when we're driving to work and we're pouring cereal for our kids and changing diapers and trying to figure out what the next couple of years are going to look like financially. Like, the fact that Jesus swung probably some form of a hammer or something for 20 years means that that ordinary is well-redeemed in us as well. And so as we engage kind of in our daily life, daily routine type stuff, that can be boring and crushing. It could be boring in at least a place where we're content. Fine, but it is also redeemed by Jesus, just as we are. Now, let's pivot. Um, you notice it took a while for Jesus' parents to figure out that Jesus was not there. <laughs> and in my own mind, and probably experience, the longer it takes mom and dad to find you, the angrier they get. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, why? Why did it take that long? Now Luke actually tells us Jesus' parents assumed that he was, he was just with some relatives. Because traveling alone uh, on the roughly 70 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem uh, was not maybe the safest thing you could do uh, because of bandits, and it was just always a slightly unstable area to live. Um, and so you would travel in a big caravan with lots of people, safety in numbers, you know, that good stuff. And it's very, very likely that you knew the people you were traveling with really well, probably because you lived near them in whatever random village in and around Nazareth or surround, in the Galilee region. Uh, that's, I mean, it, it might sound a little weird to us. That's a good environment to raise a kid. That's a really, really helpful way to raise a kid. Um, I, again, wasn't planning this, but you noticed uh, my brother and I, we were roasting marshmallows or something like that. What you didn't see on that trip, because they were probably on the other side of the camera, I think, depending on when that picture was taken, was a whole bunch of people that I grew up with. I wasn't related to any of them. We still talk to some of them. They, they're lifelong friends. That's a good way to raise a kid. Uh, the problem is that as culture has shifted, that's not really how kids are raised these days. Um, I'm convinced that um, kind of like my son's generation, maybe a little bit before, is is one of the hardest generations in recent memory to raise children because we're so isolated. Like I I, I was born and grew up uh, in in the 80s and, and early 90s, which means like, you know, get all the neighborhood kids together, we get on our bikes, and at some point, we could be miles from home, and my mom had no idea where we were, and it was fine. I, I would have a heart attack now without, like, GPS tracking or something like that. Uh, 
because we don't have that connection with our neighbors. Many of us live a fair distance away from our parents, from most of our relatives. And raising children more or less on your own is brutal. Because it turns out kids are a lot of work. And kids benefit deeply from being a part of a community with other kids roughly their age. Where you can gather with people that you love and trust who are in a similar-ish place in life with your kids. And all the kids gather and then you say, go have fun, leave me alone. And then you connect. And your kids connect. And they learn how to play. And they learn how to be bored. And they learn how to build and explore and do all, all of these fun things. Uh, maybe I'm showing my age, but I think this generation needs that and it's missing. If Christ Lutheran Church and School were just a social club, a staff position that, whose goal was just to cultivate this would still be a really good idea. Tacking onto that, or maybe the other way around, actually it should be the other way around, fundamentally, what these kids also need is to be raised in the stories of our faith. That they know that there's not only a whole group of, of adults from all walks of life and from all ages who love them and care about them, and not only that there are other kids roughly their age and they get to learn about Jesus with them and they get to play and have fun and learns all, learn all kinds of cool things, but what they need is the community of Jesus. And one of the most profound insights from what we call the New Testament is that in the wake of Jesus being raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit coming upon that, those, that first generation of Jesus' followers is that the sacred space, my Father's house, the place where God dwells is now with his people. And so the high level, big, broad overview, intention and vision for the, this position that we, that we would like to start here at Christ Lutheran, is to cultivate that space. To minister not only to the children and young families that are already here and a part, part of us, but also to reach out to the school community. There are plenty of uh, children and, and young parents who are not connected to a family of faith. And they need that. Which is why we're calling this investing in the future. Because uh, the, the efforts, and yes, the funds, no, I don't like talking about money, but whatever. The, the investment of time and resources and, and, and our faith within this next generation will pay dividends when they start having kids. Like two of, of ours just did yesterday. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about that. Um, if you have questions, please come and talk to me or some of the, uh, the lay ministers around. We'd love to, actually, they'll probably just point you to me or Jerry, um, which is fine. We're excited. And we are right at this unique opportunity for this church. Um, and so I'm just really glad to be a part of that and catch the wave that the Spirit of God is already surfing. Amen.